The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 159 The Jews Return to Jerusalem The prophet Daniel had experienced a rich and fulfilling life of obedience to God. He was deemed so wise that both the Babylonian and Persian emperors used him in their respective governments. However, Daniel and his three friends weren't the only Jews God was working with during this time. Around the time of the Persian takeover of Babylon, approximately one million Jews lived throughout the empire. Of those Jews who had not forsaken God, many remembered God's hope-filled message through Jeremiah, which said that after 70 years' captivity, the Jews would be allowed to return to Jerusalem. With the coming of King Cyrus, those 70 years were about up. Although he was brought to Babylon as a youth, Daniel knew a lot about the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah would have been about 25 to 30 years older than Daniel. As a young person growing up in Jerusalem, Daniel heard Jeremiah's prophetic warnings of Judah's impending captivity. When he was taken to Babylon, Daniel experienced the direct fulfillment of these prophecies. Through the intervening 70 years of Daniel's life in Babylon, Jeremiah completed a different mission. He transplanted King Zedekiah's daughter and therefore the throne of David to Ireland. The Bible does not cover Jeremiah's travels. Instead, it focuses on the exiled Jews, which is why we have the books of Daniel, Ezekiel, and those who came after. However, Jeremiah's message continued in Babylon through his writings. These writings impacted many Jews, leading them to cry out to God for deliverance from captivity. God had promised that if those in captivity cried out to him, he would hear their prayers, gather them together, and return them to their homeland. Daniel took God up on his promise. Understanding that 70 years were nearly fulfilled since God took him into captivity, the aged prophet knew that it was time for God to complete his promise to the nation. The old man, his body clothed with sackcloth and his face covered with ashes, struggled down to his knees to offer up a powerful prayer. O oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. 
But we have sinned and done wickedly. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commandments. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far, wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. So now, the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. O oh Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. Yet in view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay, O oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Before Daniel was even finished praying, he felt someone touch him. Startled, he looked up and saw a man, but it wasn't a man. Daniel recognized him as the great archangel Gabriel. God had been so moved by Daniel's prayer that he acted immediately, sending this mighty angelic messenger while Daniel was still on his knees. Daniel was awed and excited as he heard Gabriel speak. I have been sent to give you understanding because you are greatly beloved by God. Gabriel said, rather than immediately answering his prayer concerning the prophesied return of the Jews to Jerusalem. However, Gabriel gave Daniel something even more grand. He detailed the timing of the first coming of Jesus Christ to the earth, 
soon after, God did intervene on behalf of the Jews and fulfilled his promise through Jeremiah for their return to Jerusalem. Daniel was so old by this time that he likely did not return to Jerusalem. Instead, he continued to receive prophecies from God, which he recorded in the last few chapters of his book. Following his takeover of Babylon, King Cyrus immediately began to fulfill another prophecy of his reign. More than 150 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had written that a man named Cyrus would order the rebuilding of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Within the first years of his reign, God stirred the spirit of the Persian king to issue a powerful decree. All the kingdoms of the earth has the Lord God of heaven given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Whoever wants to return of his people, let God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. And for those that don't go up, let them contribute offerings to the temple, such as gold, silver, goods, and animals. Many Jews rejoiced at this decision. Finally, they could return to their homeland. However, only about 50,000 people decided to make the journey back to Jerusalem at this time. This amounted to about 5% of all the Jews in and around Babylon at the time of the Persian takeover. Many had bought their way out of slavery in some fashion and had begun to prosper through trade. Returning to Jerusalem would mean starting over from scratch, causing some to lose their status in society. Making matters even more difficult, Jerusalem still lay in ruins after the Babylonians destroyed it under King Nebuchadnezzar's orders. So, sadly, Many of the Jews thought it was not worth the dangerous four-month journey back to Jerusalem. Still, there were many among the Jews who wanted to return to Jerusalem and build God's temple, however dangerous it might be. They, like Daniel, had been praying that God would deliver them and give the nation another opportunity to be faithful to him. The greatest leader among these was a man named Zerubbabel, the grandson of King Jehoiachin. He was well known throughout the Jewish community in Babylon. King Cyrus gave Zerubbabel the position of governor over the returning Jews throughout the area of Judea, known at this time as Behud. Returning alongside Zerubbabel was the priest Joshua, the son of Josadak, who was a descendant of Zadok, the high priest during King David's time. Alongside Joshua and Zerubbabel were many of the patriarchs of the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi, along with their families, all of whom God had motivated to return. 
As the Jews prepared to leave Babylon, the massive group received a stunning gift from King Cyrus. The Persian monarch commanded his attendants to give the Jews all the remaining gold and silver implements taken from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar 70 years earlier. The returning Jews were ecstatic. Not only did they get to build the temple, but the original vessels would be used once again to worship God. Such favor from Cyrus was a spectacular miracle. After a long journey of many months, the multitude arrived in Jerusalem, located in the newly established Persian province of Yehud. Initially, all the Jewish families traveled through the land to locate their family plots according to the individual ancestral tribal allotments. Families of Benjamin went into the former Benjamite territory, found the locations where their families once lived, and reclaimed that land. Those of the tribe of Judah did the same. Once that was settled, the Jews returned to Jerusalem to begin the massive rebuilding project of God's holy city. They started at the most important place, the temple. Once the exact location of the former temple was determined, the priests built a large altar so they could offer burnt sacrifices to God. With much jubilation and fanfare, the morning and evening sacrifices were re-established just as they were before Israel went into captivity. Even though the temple wasn't yet built, Zerubbabel and Joshua instructed the people to keep the Feast of Trumpets and Tabernacles. Everyone brought offerings to God to thank Him for allowing their return to Jerusalem and to seek His protection. Many of the nations surrounding Yehud weren't pleased with Cyrus's decree to let the Jews return. After celebrating the feast, the Jews started to work on the foundation of the temple structure. The construction project hit a snag. However, when they realized that there weren't enough Levites to work on it, usually only those from the tribe of Levi, beginning from ages 25 to 30, were allowed to work on the temple grounds. However, Zerubbabel and Joshua followed the example of King David and made an exception, allowing the working age to just 20. With the extra help of the younger men, the temple foundation was built about a year and a half later. At the same time the temple was being rebuilt, a restoration of another sort was taking place, that of the temple musical order. At the celebration of the foundation of the temple, the re-established musical program for worshiping God was on display for all to see.
The Levites praise God with instruments and symbols, just as King David had instructed 500 years earlier. Included in the group of performers were the descendants of Asaph, the chief Levitical musician during King David's time. The musical offering was punctuated by groups of Levites singing the famous Israelite refrain, Give thanks to God, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever to Israel. Even the regular Jews joined in by shouting in praise to God. However, not all of the Jews were quite so excited when they considered the new temple foundation. Many of them, especially the older patriarchs in the group, started to weep. They had seen the original glory and splendor of Solomon's temple while they were extremely grateful to be rebuilding the temple. They knew this new temple would not be as large or glorious. Even still, the noise of those celebrating the temple reconstruction drowned out the noise of those who were weeping. It didn't take long for the people living around the province of Yehud to notice that the temple of God was going up extremely fast. These people started to think of ways they could undermine the rebuilding efforts. They must have thought, if these Jews build up Jerusalem once again, they might try to take over our lands. Soon after the temple foundation was complete, representatives of Samaria, the nation directly north of the Jews, visited the construction site in Jerusalem. In the guise of friendship and mutual admiration for the God of Israel, they came with an interesting request. We see that you are building up the great temple of Jerusalem once again. The Samaritan governor said to Zerubbabel, Yes, indeed, the rightful people of God have returned to his city and are building his temple, replied Zerubbabel. We have a proposition for you, the governor said craftily. You obviously do not have enough people for this construction effort, he said, pointing to some of the young Levites struggling under the weight of a large cedar beam. How about you allow us to help you build God's temple? We have some qualified builders who are strong and believe in this project. What's more, we believe in the very same God as you. We've been worshiping and sacrificing to God for over a hundred years, since the days that the king of Assyria brought us into this land. What do you say? You could surely use the help. God gave Zerubbabel discernment to see the true motives of these men. He could tell they were being deceitful, he stated boldly. You will have nothing to do with us nor this construction project. While it is true that you have worshipped a God that claims to be the God of Israel from the time that your peoples were brought from Babylon to this place, you do not worship the same God as us. No, we will build this temple to the Lord God of Israel ourselves, just as we have been commanded by King Cyrus of Persia. 
several of the elders of Benjamin and Judah were listening to the exchange and voiced their agreement with Zerubbabel's decision. The Samaritan governor surveyed the gathering, then looked directly at Zerubbabel. Have it your way, he said curtly. With that, the Samaritan party left Jerusalem and traveled 45 miles north back to their capital of Samaria. Once they returned home, they began to devise another scheme to hinder the work of the Jews. These people did believe they worshipped the same God as the Jews. Zerubbabel did not deny that they had been taught a certain version of the God of Israel. However, looking at the earliest history of the Samaritans, it's easy to see that they were taught a counterfeit version of the truth. Zerubbabel and the Jews didn't want any of their paganism near the temple grounds, and rightly so. Chapter 142 in Volume 9 details the earliest beginnings of this group that would continue to be a thorn in the sides of the Jews for the next 500 years. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story, find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church. Thank you.